All right, so I want to take a moment and evaluate a video posted by Brandon Robertson on TikTok. Brandon Robertson is an openly gay uh, pastor, and he very much uh, likes to spend much time defending uh, the act of homosexuality, um, the, the mentality of, of homosexuality and the LGBTQIA plus movement. Uh, so I just want to take a moment and evaluate this video. Um, I uh, am not without sin. Uh, so I, I do not condemn anyone uh, who is given over to any sin. That is not my place. It is the place of Christ. Uh, but it is our place to think critically about the things that we hear, the things that are posted very publicly, and the ideas that are being uh, shoved down our throats in society today. Um, so, so I want to evaluate this video uh, and see if we have any common ground here and to see what the Bible actually says. Think about it, hopefully, in a clear way. Let's uh, watch this video together. Beware of Christians who try to read their own beliefs into the pages of the Bible. Billions of Christians around the world engage with Scripture in this way. They take presupposed theological beliefs that they've heard in their churches or they've heard growing up, and they read them back into the text, using the Bible to justify the beliefs they already had. We see... All right, uh, so this is true. Um, there's nothing wrong uh, with the way he is starting the video. Uh, and I, I want to measure content, so, so I don't want to jump to a conclusion uh, based on the fact that I disagree with this man's lifestyle, right? Uh, that would be an ad hominem approach to uh, evaluating uh, what is being said. So I, I want to say, like, from the start, uh, from the start of his video, uh, we're beginning on common ground here. Uh, I believe that the scriptures should be read and taught and preached in an unadulterated way. Um, I believe that it is wrong to eisegete the text, to insert things in there that don't belong in there, to insert things in there that aren't that aren't in there. I think it is wrong to read too much into the text uh, as, as far as uh, it depends on us. I also believe it is really important for us not to remove things from the text or remove a piece of scripture from its context uh, in order to uh, proof text in a, in a way that is not right, that does not represent the text of scripture well. And so as we watch this video, uh, we just know um, this pastor has uh, claimed um, that the text should be unadulterated and we should read it for what it is without inserting our own theological persuasion into the text uh, as, much as, we, as much as we can. We should be humble as we read the text and we should receive the text as it is. Um, and, and we'll see uh, what, what he does with the text, and then we'll actually go and we'll look at the text together uh, to see what we ought to do with the text and how we should read the text. This all over the place. For instance, billions of Christians around the world believe that the book of Genesis is a scientific account of how God created the world in six literal 24-hour days. However, if you look at the original Hebrew scriptures, Genesis chapter one and two, that's a poem. It's an artistic expression of the creation story. It is not intended to be a historical account of how God actually created the world. And yet billions of Christians begin with the presupposed belief that the Bible is supposed to be a science book and read that interpretation into the text despite the fact that it flies in the face of all of our best science and our best understanding of the origin of our universe. Okay, I want you to notice the very first thing he did after saying we shouldn't import our external ideas or beliefs into the text. The very first thing he does is import 
his external beliefs into the text. Uh, he, uh, he is interpreting the Bible based on modern science um, rather than uh, based on a textual analysis, uh, a grammatical and historical interpretation of the text. And he makes a claim about Moses's intention when Moses writes the book of Genesis based on the fact that it flies in the face of modern science. Of course, I take uh, Genesis to be very literal. Uh, I am a literal six-day um, creation guy, and I, I don't think it flies in the face of modern science. I'm very much a science nerd at the same time. You have to do a lot of work to make these two things contradict. Um, I, I don't know of any Christian in my life that considers the Genesis account to be a science book, so I would ask for evidence um, on his claim there that billions of Christians believe Genesis is a science book. As far as I know, it's a history. Um, it is it is a narrative uh, historical account, and I believe Moses intended it to be taken as a historical account. And we can look at the text to uh, confirm the historical nature, at least the historical nature that Moses intended. So I'm going to go to, um, let me see here, I'm going to go to Genesis uh, chapter 1, and here we see the six days of creation. And at the end of creation, uh, the creation story, that's uh, six days plus the seventh day, right? Uh, there aren't definite articles before each of the previous six days, but there is a definite article before the sixth day, and there is a definite article before the seventh day. And that's not insignificant when it comes to our interpretation. We want to see what words are actually in the text. And then Moses makes this claim here, by the seventh day, the day of rest, God completed his, his work. Uh, now, there is a poetic nature to the book of Genesis. Um, there is a poetic nature, particularly in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Uh, there, there are certain uh, parallelisms that are present in Hebrew uh, literature and Hebrew poetry. Um, but as far as the claims being made, like Moses comes out and says, by the seventh day, God completed his work, which is a historical claim. It is a truth claim. And whether or not it's in poetic form, Moses is making a very literal claim here. And so you can go and you can you can take a day-age theory, uh, you can take a, the parallelism theory, um, you, can, you can read the book of Genesis however you want, you can read chapters 1 and 2 however you want, but then you have to contend with Moses right here where he plainly says, by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Um, I am a firm believer that the most basic reading of the text is probably the correct reading of the text. Uh, and if we have to try really, really hard to explain elements of the text away, um, we probably are reading the text wrongly and we're probably importing something external because we feel a need to try to hold on to our own convictions. I need to hold on to our to our own beliefs, our own theologies. And so when we use um, science to interpret the Bible, we're importing in something external. Uh, just like when people will interpret the Bible in light of the newspaper, they're importing something external. Uh, or when Christians interpret the Bible in light of a theology they already have called the 
theological interpretation of Scripture. That's importing something external to to the text. And so many people will claim, no, we need the unadulterated text, the Bible alone. And many people will accuse others of um, adding, importing things into the text of Scripture. But then when they start explaining what they think, or using an example like um, Mr. Brandon here, um, they themselves import things into the text in order to interpret the text. And so just let it be known that uh, Brandon Robertson is doing the very thing that he's being critical of in in others uh, here. Um, it doesn't necessarily uh, make him a hypocrite, right? And someone who wears a mask pretends to be someone that they're not, but it, it does make him wrong according to his own standard, uh, the standard that he gave at the beginning of this video. Let's continue through. We see this when it comes to beliefs about homosexuality. Christians read into Leviticus 18.22 a modern understanding of homosexuality and view an ancient commandment about ritual and cultural practices of ancient pagan nations to be a broad condemnation of loving consensual same-sex relationships in the modern world. Leviticus 18.22 is not referring to anything akin to modern loving same-sex relationships when it says, a man shall not lie with a man as with a woman, for this is an abomination. If you look in the context, Leviticus 18 is part of the Holiness Code, a list of ritual and cultural prohibitions condemning ritual and cultural practices of pagan nations. It is not meant to be a moral law for all time, and the practices it's referring to are not loving consensual relationships, but exploitative and idolatrous sexual relationships. We see this in the way many Christians treat women. All right, um, so let's go to uh, Leviticus 18.22. Let's read it. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. Uh, it is an abomination there before the Lord. And Brandon's um, claim is that this is not talking about homosexuality as it is practiced in the modern day. Instead, this is an oppressive kind of relationship. This is part of a holiness code um, by which the Hebrew nation, by which Israel uh, was commanded to not be like the pagans. So it was something that separated out Israel from the pagan nations. Um, I, I think he's correct in that assertion, um, but I want to look at the context and see how he might be incorrect when it comes to the context of Leviticus chapter 18 and for it being only uh, for national Israel in their context. So in order to find out the context of a verse, what do we do? We read around it. Instead of just reading that verse and assuming some sort of context or asserting some kind of context, we read around it. And, and here, I think we can just look at the immediate context to find uh, exactly what we need. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel. So the audience is Israel, the Israelites say to them, I am the Lord, your God. So this command is for anyone whose Lord is God, right? Um, anyone who follows after God, anyone who wishes to be a child of God, this law is for that person. Uh, so it is in the immediate context being written to Israel, but it is a command for the people of God. If the, if the Lord is our God, if God is our Lord, 
these commands are for us, and they are written for Israel. It is a holiness code. Uh, it is so that they would be distinguished from the pagan nations. Um, do we not also need to be distinguished from the ungodliness of our time, from the from the paganism of our time? Uh, are we not also to be holy? as God is holy, and I think we are. I think we receive that command in the New Testament. In Petrine literature and in Pauline literature both, um, the New Testament instructs us to be holy because God is holy. And so any law that God gives is a holiness code for us. There are differences between moral laws and ritual laws and civil laws. Uh, We find those three types of laws in the Old Testament. Um, But the civil laws and the ceremonial laws, the ritual laws, uh, they reflect the moral law. And so we need to consider these. um, All of the laws apply today in some way. Why? Because the Lord is our God. If we discount his law, if we discount his code for holiness for our lives, we show that the Lord is not, in fact, our God. This is for people who are gods who belong to God, whom God has chosen. God continues, you shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt, where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. So we have two different lands mentioned. They are not to participate in the paganism of Egypt, where they came from, and they are not to look like the nation where they are going. So there's a future aspect to this law. Uh, For the people of God, no matter where the people of God go, they are not to do what is done in that land according to the worldly standards of that land, according to the paganism of that land. And so for the people of God going into America or existing in the Western world, the law carries over where you go you be holy like God is holy. Do not be like the people who make their citizenship on earth, in the land you are going. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes. Why? Because we are the people of God, to live in accord with them. And God reminds them, I am the Lord your God. Like This is the purpose. This is the point of the text, that God is the God of the people right? Uh, God alone is the one we follow. And if we are his people, we strive to follow his instructions. We are not our own people. We are not to be concerned about our own selfish ambitions. We are not to be concerned about our own lusts, about our own desires in any way, whether homosexual or heterosexual, right? Uh, We deny ourselves, we take up our crosses, we follow after Jesus, we strive to be holy like God is holy. All right, we continue. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You are not to uncover her nakedness. So if this command, which is in the same context as the command in 1822, um, is only cultural, then it's, then it's perfectly fine for Christians to uncover the nakedness of their fathers and mothers. Um, and the insinuation here is for some sort of sexual action if it's consensual, right? And so using the same logic that Brandon uses to defend homosexuality, uh, we can also defend uh, 
incest if it is consensual. Um, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. Uh, it is your father's nakedness. And so if, um, if this is only cultural, we can also um, defend, according to the logic that Brandon is using here, we can defend uh, adultery, um, a, a, a son sleeping with his father's wife. We can defend that as well if we uh, follow the, the argumentation and the logic that Brandon is using to defend verse 22. The nakedness of your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether born at home or born outside, their nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughter uh, or your daughter's daughter, uh, your your grandchild, right? Uh, so we can defend all of these actions. We can say, no, he wasn't talking to us in our culture. If it's consensual, he's talking about abuse and Israel remaining holy. We can use the same arguments to defend these other actions. Um, if we use that argument to defend verse 22 here, right? Uh, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. Uh, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter, nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are blood relatives. This is lewdness. You shall not marry a woman in addition to her sister as a rival while she is alive to uncover her nakedness. Also, so here we have a command against a polygamy of a certain type, right? Um, you Also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness during her menstrual impurity. Uh, you shall not have intercourse with your neighbor's wife to be defiled with her. You shall not give any of your offspring to offer them to Moloch, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. And then part of the same command here, you shall not give any of your offspring. Uh, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Also, you shall not have intercourse with any animal. So bestiality is here mentioned alongside homosexuality. Uh, bestiality is perfectly okay if it's consensual, according to the logic of uh, Brandon Robertson. Here, in the context of Leviticus 18.22, so if we prize context and we use uh, this argumentation, then we have to say none of this applies today. This isn't moral law. This is strictly so people can um, remain pure. Uh, also, uh, do not defile yourself by any of these things. For by all these things, here we go, all these things, the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. So he's not just saying, look, don't do things that pagan nations do. He's saying the reason that they became pagan nations in the first place, the reason they became unrighteous, the reason these other nations are defiled is because they first gave themselves over to these things. Moses's explicit claim in the context of Leviticus chapter 18 is that the nations became pagan, they became defiled, they became unclean because they were given themselves over to incest, to sexual sin, to homosexuality. Um, a man sleeping with a man as he should sleep with a woman, right? As he should lie with a woman instead. 
and bestiality. It's because the other nations gave themselves over to these things that they became defiled before God. And that's why Israel is not to do this. So how do we become defiled before God? Uh, We give ourselves over to the intentions of our own lust. So that's what Genesis, I mean, Leviticus chapter 18 is really getting at here. So if we want to prize context, uh, if we want to read the Bible for uh, what it is rather than importing our own stuff into the text, uh, we need to exegete the text and we need to recognize the wording of the text when Moses says these things are the cause of impurity in these other nations. Um, So in order to remain pure, in order to be holy, don't do these things because as soon as you give yourself over to these things, you will become defiled before God. And there are many reasons for that. Um, But if we even go as far as to defend our own sin and try to justify our own sin by twisting the text, by importing our own theological persuasions or beliefs or traditions or or feelings into the text, uh, then we are wrong. So according to his own standard, Brandon Robertson is wrong about chapter 18, uh, just flat out wrong, because in context, chapter 18 explicitly forbids homosexuality because homosexuality, along with incest and bestiality, they are the cause, the, the cause of uncleanliness. And it says that explicitly in the text. Moses wrote that explicitly. We don't want to be like the other nations who are defiled So we don't do the thing that causes us to be defiled before God. The text doesn't say anything about consent. It simply mentions the action. Um, It does not have in view how you get to the action. It does not have in view the exact motivation of the people when they give themselves over to homosexuality, bestiality, and incest. It just says these things cause the people to be defiled. And if we want to read scripture for what it is, then that's what we must believe. If we don't believe that, we are not the people of God striving to be holy as God is holy. Let's continue watching this video. Despite the fact that Jesus elevates the status of women and that there are many women leaders listed throughout the entirety of the Bible and especially in the New Testament church, Christians prioritize a few scriptures that seem to reinforce patriarchy and disregard and erase all of the women leaders and Jesus' own example of the treatment of women in order to subjugate women to their patriarchal misogynistic worldview. Christians are guilty of not studying the Bible in its culture. Um, so when it comes to this accusation of misogyny, it's a, this is a word that is thrown around quite a bit. Um, Most Christians I know, my brothers and sisters, have a high view of women in the church. Uh, Most people that I know, including myself, we we don't have problems with uh, women in leadership. Uh, We just just don't. Uh, We believe that there are women leaders listed in the Bible. So I'm not sure exactly where he's getting that claim. Um, Conservative, traditional Christians uh, think highly of, of women, according to my experience. You could probably find a couple misogynists out there. Uh, that is a real thing. Uh, but to commit the sin of hasty generalization is is a little weird here. And when we go to Scripture to find out what the role of a woman is in the home and in the church and in society, we're not saying anything about 
um, her being unequal to a man or her being lesser than a man. We're just saying that God has intended certain roles for women and he's intended certain roles for men. Uh, neither is being subjugated to the other and neither is to, to lord authority over the other. Uh, all people are to be humble and none of us are to live in a privileged way. So I'm just I'm just not sure not sure what he's getting at there. Uh, there's no text of scripture he's referring to explicitly. Um, no specific argument he's making there. He's just making an assertion. So we, we ought to also be careful of that. Like um, if our Bible is our authority, and which he said at the beginning of this video, then by his own standard here, he's, he's just speaking into the air. He's speaking without meaning uh, here when he makes that assertion, that accusation without providing any evidence and without providing any uh, specific text of scripture that he wishes to walk through. So I, I hope that he does, and I hope to have that conversation with him. Context, original language, and background. Christians are guilty of not following Paul's command to study, to show ourselves approved unto God. Christians are guilty of reading their own biases and their own perspectives into the scripture rather than letting the historical culture and context of the Bible help us understand what the authors originally meant. So beware of Christians that aren't willing to engage with the Bible historically and critically, who aren't willing to do the work to actually understand what the text says and only use the Bible as a proof text to justify their own own beliefs and prejudiced opinions. Uh, absolutely agree. Um, and I hope he listens to his own accusation because he's, he's accusing himself here in this video um, of eisegesis. He's accusing himself of reading his own uh, biases and prejudices into the text of scripture. And then he is using that to speak against Christians who are supposedly his brothers and sisters in the faith. And I just want to end this video um, by, by saying I have seen many people who uh, probably are well-intended uh, end up attacking their brothers and sisters in the faith um, and tearing down the body of Christ, which is what's going on here. Right? He's tearing down the body of Christ um, by being overly critical and accusatory and um, striving to um, push his own beliefs uh, upon others by twisting the text of the Bible. Um, but when we do that, create division in the church, uh, when, we, when we do that and treat our brothers and sisters in the faith as if they are somehow uh, less Christian because they uh, believe a little bit differently than we do, um, we, we do not portray the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, which is a, a statement of self-sacrificial living, not a feeling or emotion or a lust, right? It's, it's, it's love. Um, so the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. Uh, this is not peaceful, right? Love, joy, peace, uh, patience. Uh, there's some impatience described there because he's he seems aggravated that um, other people don't read the Bible like he does. So there, there's a lack of patience. There's love, joy, peace, patience, uh, kindness, and gentleness. Uh, there is a, a lack of gentleness here, uh, even though he's not very intimidating. Um, there is a lack of gentleness here. So, so love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, gentleness, uh, goodness. Uh, and self-control, right? And so self-control would also be a big one, especially when it comes to uh, the sexual urges we have by nature. If we have the Holy Spirit, 
we also have self-control and those urges don't rule over us and we can be honest and say hey um, i am by nature a sinner uh, i have thoughts that don't glorify god whether homosexual or, or heterosexual everybody has thoughts that don't glorify god because we are not perfect creatures and then to say i repent uh, i repent of my sin uh, even though I have these urges, these inclinations, these lusts, um, I'm not going to be entitled in them. I'm not going to use them um, to fulfill my selfish desires, right? Because according to James, like it's the selfish desire and the fulfillment of that desire that actually leads to, to, to death, I think an eternal death. And so I'm going to repent. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to confess what the scriptures say. I'm going to admit I am wrong in in my lust, like morally wrong in my lusts, in my entitlement, uh, in my uh, unholy sexual urges, uh, and I am going to practice self-control, and I am going to strive with my life to honor God, because this is what it means to live a holy life as a child of God. And if we are not striving to live holy lives, we prove that we are not children of God. And if we don't bear the fruit of the Spirit, we show that we are not children of God. And so I don't, I don't want to be condemning here. I really just want to evaluate the content that we see. Uh, and I want to invite uh, Brandon Robertson, like, repent and believe God. Believe the gospel. Uh, confess uh, what is in accordance with God's word. Um, act in accordance with God's word. Um, receive the Spirit. Uh, start bearing the fruit of the of the spirit like there's room at the cross for homosexuals lgbtqia plus um, individuals um, but god calls us to holy living he calls us to deny ourselves take up our crosses and follow him i'm glad to call any of you uh, brother or sister in the faith but understand, like, if we are seeking our own lust, trying to fulfill ourselves, we are not, we show not to be in, in Christ. And that, I think, is a takeaway from this, uh, from this moment, from this video, uh, from this evaluation.